0: Everybody, welcome back to the show. We are in the middle of what we're calling our own mini series right now around new alternative uses of CO2. no, didn't officially come out with the mini-series, but in the conversations you've been having, you know, Absolutely. it just kind of... Maybe we'll name it that. Yeah, you know what? Let's backdate a couple of the episodes. <laughs> <and> <laughs> get <laughs> traction, get viewership through the roof, but yeah. uh, repurpose some old yeah, ones. ones. What yeah. It's yeah. not content creators too. Uh, but in this mini-series that we are now formally coining as alternative use and new and creative uses of CO2, we right. have the 12 team. Super appreciative of both of you joining. Andy Stevenson, he's the vice president of project development. And Yusuf Tazi is uh, the CO2 development manager. And so they work on the same team helping to commercialize CO2. Um, And a little bit about 12, and and, uh, Andy, you you, you coined it best. Carbon transformation company converting CO2 into plastics, chemicals, and fuels. But step one of commercialization is really taking CO2 to create sustainable aviation fuel. That's what 12 is up to. Super interested to see uh, how commercialization has been. Understand the size of your market, the future of your market. What products are you going to displace? Uh, and so, I think we've got a lot to talk yeah, about. What challenges you're facing and all absolutely. that. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think Andy, Andy coined that phrase. I think that was the mini
1: series, it's carbon transformation series. So, <laughs> trademark. Uh, I don't recall that being trademarked at all. So, this is the carbon transformation mini series. So. Uh, <laughs> great to have you guys on. Look forward to hearing all about what you guys are doing. Uh, you know, we've along as it as you've been growing and expanding and uh, doing a lot of things with the uh, aviation fuel, So please uh, dive right in, tell us all about 12 and then and, and yourselves individually and, and what all is going on over there.
2: Great, thanks guys, uh, appreciate the the intro and, and yeah, nice to talk with you guys. I'm Andy Stevenson, I lead project development for 12 uh, which involves securing the CO2 supply as well as the renewable energy for our commercial scale projects. Uh, That kind of gives some indication to where we are in our our development cycle. So we are moving out of the R&D stage to um, actually working on building our first large scale commercial projects, which is which is really exciting. And really what I joined 12 to help uh, help lead about a year and a half ago. Um, You know, as as you mentioned, 12 is is carbon transformation. That's that's kind of our uh, our technology. Um, What's unique about it, I would say, compared to some other uh, technologies is it's a low temperature electrolysis process. Um, You know, there's a lot of other companies, a lot of other processes to convert CO2 and hydrogen, uh, in in some cases, into different kinds of hydrocarbons. They're often, you know, thermal processes or thermochemical processes. But uh, we've actually developed an electrolyzer uh, that can convert CO2 into different um, kind of carbon or hydrocarbon products using electricity as the 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 sole source of the kind of input energy driving the the chemical reactions, uh, and so we think our technology can enable sort of the lowest carbon intensity score um, products because it can be powered fully by renewable energy as as kind of more renewable energy comes on the grid, and so that's kind of where we see our you know, our niche fitting in is as sort of. Of all the different, you know, CO2 to chemicals, uh, CO2 to hydrocarbon uh, technologies, ours is the only one that can be, you know, fully powered by by renewable energy, uh, and so that's that's kind of our our uh, our selling point. What uh, so are you
1: producing hydrogen in that electrolysis process as well, or are you not capturing that today and, and just we're focusing on the CO2?
2: so right now our electrolyzer uh, is just converting co2 into different products Um, but the electrolyzer it looks very similar in terms of architecture to a water electrolyzer for producing hydrogen Um, so it actually that's allows us to repurpose a lot of the design work the components that have already been done for water electrolyzers which is an industry that's that's obviously a little bit ahead of of co2 electrolysis in terms of commercialization so instead of just having water in our electrolyzer, we have water and CO2. Uh, And then instead of having, you know, just the kind of water electrolysis catalyst, um, we also have a catalyst that drives sort of different reactions between the CO2 and the, essentially the, you know, hydrogen that's being produced inside the reactor. Um, And so that allows us to, you know, produce different kinds of products than, than, than hydrogen from our reactor. Uh, the first one we're commercializing is is carbon monoxide Um, so what our unit is actually going to be producing is is carbon monoxide Um, but as folks who are familiar with the chemical industry will know carbon monoxide is kind of a core um, carbon building block for many different hydrocarbon products and so if we can achieve that conversion step of co2 into co we can then use that sort of co building block to you know, combine with additional hydrogen or combine with other unit operations to make, you know, many different hydrocarbons.
0: Would you do that expansion in house or through partnership, or is that going to be total development under the 12 umbrella?
2: Uh, right now, we're doing the sort of, you know, full development ourselves. And so, you know, developing projects that include our electrolyzers as well as any additional sort of unit operations that are needed. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the sustainable aviation fuel. Those projects will require our, you know, CO2 to CO, um, a separate, you know, bank of, of just water electrolyzers, standard kind of commercial water electrolyzers, and then a downstream gas to liquids process, um, which is another technology that's available to sort of license or, or purchase. And so,
0: um,
2: the fuel projects will include, you know, each of those unit operations and, right now we are we are developing projects that include all three and sort of piecing it all together ourselves uh, mainly just in terms of you know getting getting speed to market um because even the water electrolysis and you know the the gas to liquids it's not like I can show up and find you know a bunch of green hydrogen available at, at, at many different sites right now so in order to get to market quickly we feel like we have to do it all ourselves but over time, you know as the green hydrogen industry develops um and as as kind of project developers you know third-party project developers figure out the space a little bit more um we intend to sort of partner you know establish those partnerships and we've already been in discussions with a number of kind of green hydrogen project developers about co-location and, and sort of partnership on on projects oh, that's interesting so
1: uh, maybe let's take a step back real quick just so everybody has a full understanding uh, describe sustainable aviation fuel. What what is it? What what's it competing against? Uh, how does it compete? And then you know, why? What's driving the market in that direction?
2: Yeah. So sustainable aviation fuel is is kind of a generic term that's I think typically described uh, used to describe uh, a, a liquid hydrocarbon fuel that's essentially a drop in replacement for uh, conventional jet fuel, and so there's obviously folks who are having more kind of innovative ways to replace, you know, conventional hydrocarbon fuel in planes. You know, people are making hydrogen planes or electric planes. But I think sustainable aviation fuel is typically like a a less carbon intensive but still kind of similar, you know, chemically uh, hydrocarbon fuel. Um, and so that's that's really the, the benefit of sustainable aviation fuels it can be deployed within existing infrastructure. Um, there are sometimes blending limits depending on the the type of fuel but um we don't need uh, different planes we don't need different pipelines we don't need different terminals you know we can right. use all of that um and 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 so that's that's kind of the big the big benefit um and and it's also you know i think one of the one of the best ways uh to deploy liquid fuels liquid hydrocarbon fuels is in aviation you know it, it sort of a sector that really requires a a super high energy density uh, fuel uh, that unlike sort of road transportation or other sectors can't be addressed as easily with batteries or hydrogen. And so we've kind of got that, you know, that uh, infrastructure advantage as well as sort of the, you know, the drop in uh, nature of it. it really kind of makes it competitive. And I think, you know, like a lot of other sectors, there's there's different incentives for airlines to adopt sustainable aviation fuel. Um, you know, some a- a jurisdictions like Europe are, are taking more of the stick approach, where they're sort of mandating certain amounts uh, that the airlines uplift, and so the airline it's kind of creating the demand just from from that sort of mandate. And then the U.S. kind of taking more of the the carrot approach by offering you know tax credits and other incentives for for the you know, for the airlines or the producers to adopt it. Um, And and so that's kind of how the, how the market is developing. And then we're also seeing a big push from, from the customer side, you know, big corporate customers, uh, you know, like the goals accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, for example, we have this partnership with Microsoft and Alaska airlines, and it's kind of covering, you know, some of the business travel that Microsoft employees do on, Alaska Airlines, so sort of. There's, that's that's there, sort of how they're how they're fitting into it. There's
1: airports in Europe, or maybe just air regions or regions in Europe or countries that demand or dictate a, a certain percentage of all flights incoming use a certain percentage of, of uh, SAF. Right?
2: Is that an accurate statement? It's. I don't know if it gets down to the specific airport level. It's more like. Uh, know more put on the 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 operators so an airline has to have like a certain percentage of its fuel i think across across the entire eu there may be some kind of sub mandates for different countries um so yeah they could they could probably pick and choose a little bit like which airports right you know they're they're choosing but it's it's kind of an overall region-wide mandate so just to put it in perspective because i've always heard that you know it
1: that the The, one of the biggest opportunities, uh, and obviously you get your plastics and some of the other things that long term as well, but is, is aviation fuel. So to put it in perspective, I think in the U.S. today, commercially non-enhanced oil or, uh, EOR, oil recovery, we use about 10 million tons of CO2 a year. If everybody converted to sustainable aviation fuel with the CO2 basis like
2: you have, how many tons per year are you looking at? that's that's quite a bit and, and maybe even beyond where we where we uh, you know we aspire to get to because i think with sustainable aviation fuel you know there there are different technologies there's sort of ours co2 to fuels there's other sort of biomass based fuels um and so we definitely see it as being kind of a mix of of those different types um and i think you know we definitely see potential to maybe do Projects upwards of you know 100 million tons of CO2 per year uh, in, in, in producing fuel in in the U.S. and so that's maybe like a kind of interim target we might shoot for uh, as as kind of like a reasonable economic potential and in, in a relatively you know short time period. And, and the real place here it. is you're not you're not extracting existing
1: fossil fuels that have been in the earth for millions of years. You know so we're not we're not pulling more out. We're capturing CO2, creating this fuel that burns and it burns cleaner, but you really, it's more just we're not having to pull more out and, and enter that the environment, right? So, so.
0: exactly, and yeah. If you would, with that being the traditional method, 12 has their new technology CO2 to fuels, biomass, all these options. How do they compare on a cost basis?
2: Yeah, I'd say right now our you know most of our cost is actually not from the CO two, uh, it's from the electricity. You know, it's similar to hydrogen production. You know, most of our cost comes from electricity, and so certainly we need um, the cost and ecosystem of CO two to develop. You know, we need more capture sources. We need a lot of you know CO two capture, but really for us. The way we're going to be competitive relative to those technologies is decline cost of renewable energy. Um, and that's come a long way in the last decade, but it still needs another kind of, I'd say, step change compared to where it is now for us to be a really exciting technology. And, you know, most people are projecting that's gonna, that's gonna happen. You know, that's sort of the, you know, the future outlook is we'll have more and more wind farms, more solar projects, um, coming online. And, and that'll be the sort of cost curve we really ride down to get to be cost competitive. Um, and, and, and that's sort of our, our story as a, as a technology.
1: So, so yeah, hydrogen has that same challenge and obviously the, the electrolyzers,
2: um,
1: you know, the electrolyzers. Say, you know, and,
2: and compared to sort of the biomass fuels, you know, their biggest challenge is the feedstock. Um, and, you know, to generate more feedstock, it just requires more land. Um, and and you know, a lot of people think the costs of the feedstock are going to be going up over time just because there are limitations on that. Um, and for us, you know, we're using electricity as our main feedstock, and the cost of that is sort of projected to go down. And so, you know, we're sort of moving in opposite directions in terms of the, you know, the technology roadmap. Um I think for for both of our our technologies, but yeah, certainly overall we feel like they'll both have a place in the future. But ours in the longer term can be more more cost competitive.
1: So, and, and some of those feedstocks would that be uh, like an ethanol base? So, if you had a a, a green, fully craft, you know, low C I score ethanol mix into some of these uh, aviation fuels, is that kind of a, a competitive product?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Ethanol ethanol is uh, definitely one of the CO two sources that we are looking into. You know, high concentration CO2 sources like ethanol plants or renewable natural gas, um, um, off gas basically, um, that is pretty concentrated in CO2. We're looking into biogenics, those biogenic sources that are concentrated and into also in the long-term direct air capture um, where there can be actually some good integrations with our technology in terms of heat integration or or other types of integration that we're looking into. And the pulp and paper industry, uh, because most of the CO2 from pulp and paper industry is also biogenic. So those are, I would say, the main categories uh, or the main sources of, of CO2 that we're looking into.
0: Electricity is your feedstock, but you are sourcing CO2. Does where you get that CO2 and the CI score associated with that source play into your business model at all? Or is it not really turning the needle and you'll take CO2 um, from you know wherever you can find an abundance of it? And, and part two that, what does the CI score do for you all? What is the incentive there? Uh, is it monetary or is it more uh, on principle, you know, on the fundamentals of your business? Yeah, I think for now, we're mostly focused, like you've said, on, on biogenic
2: sources of CO2 or in the future from direct air capture. Um, <clears throat> I think the the kind of rules around how those different sources generate different CI scores is a little bit, you know, it's kind of in in development right now, but that's kind of the signal we're getting from our customers as well, is that they see biogenic sources as being the ones that are really consistent with a sort of net zero carbon feature. Um, And so that's, that's sort of what we're focused on, regardless of whether it has an impact on the ci score or not and and for us yeah the ci score typically will have sort of a minimum requirement you know there's there's certain sort of within like the the aviation regulatory schemes like corsia is kind of the main like international one the airlines want their fuel their sustainable aviation fuel to qualify with there's some sort of like maximum ci score for your fuel to be considered sustainable um and so you know, we're, we're pretty far beyond that, um, but but we need to kind of just keep that in mind as as like the, you know, the maximum we could do. And then uh, beyond that, it's mostly, you know, mostly to generate additional incentives and, and things like that. No, um, I will say that's one of the big benefits of our fuels. It does have, assuming we use renewable energy among the sort of lowest carbon intensity scores of all of the different types of sustainable aviation fuels. So you mentioned
1: early on that you're you're kind of,
2: you know moved on past the
1: R&D stage, you got into that commercialization phase. Where is is twelve today where you know have you advanced to, uh,
2: with, with your footprint you know where, where how are things going in that regard? Yeah, so we've got uh, our R d facility and pilot plant in the Bay Area in California and that's where most of our employees are, are located. Uh, and then we're working on uh, kind of building up our, our pipeline of commercial projects. Uh, right now, we are working on a project in in Washington State. That, depending on exactly when this uh, podcast gets released, may be announced uh, in more detail um, uh, after after that. Um, so that's something to keep keep an eye out for. Uh, we're going to be announcing some more details about that that project soon. Uh, and then most of the rest of our development is in kind of the central region of of the U.S. Um, the the lowest cost, highest capacity factor, new renewable energy resource uh, right now is is wind power. Uh, And so, you know, the the central region of the U.S. is some of the best wind resources anywhere. And so um, that's a big factor behind that. Uh, And then uh, it's also where most of the ethanol plants are located. And so it's kind of, you know, the, the sort of whole central U.S. has this unique potential, I would say, to be a uh, CO2 electrolysis, uh, you know, just mega hub in the future because of those, those resources. Hmm. That's interesting because you,
1: obviously you have a, a lot of CO2 there from ethanol as well in that same region, you have the whole farm built and the. So, but yeah, I wonder, is that just from the land capacity of that? That's why there's so much, I mean, I guess it is kind of a, uh, you know, wind torn area and through a, a wind tunnel there, so you got high winds uh, and uh, a lot of CO2, that makes sense? Yeah. No, no, that's great. Uh, so, you know, let's jump back and go. Uh, obviously, cost is a major challenge or, or price parity compared to you know existing things. Uh, subsidies, tax incentives, you know, we know 45Q or I don't know if this falls under 45V or 45Z. But what are you seeing there? Are you are you have you applied for some of these uh, tax credits? Have you seen obstacles? I mean, sustainable aviation fuel seems like it's kind of on the border. You know, sequestration, cut and dry. You know you're doing it. Tax credits make sense. Uh enhanced oil recovery, pretty cut and dry. You think we can apply for it? Aviation fuel seems like that's kind of up in that that realm for for applying for credits, where there's a lot of fuzziness after that as far as when we're using the commercial use. So have you applied for uh for these credits and how's that going?
2: We haven't applied formally yet, um, just because we don't have a kind of commercially operating facility uh, yet. But we are planning to take advantage of the forty-five Q utilization credit, the sixty dollar per ton credit, and then also for the sustainable aviation fuel products that are using green hydrogen, uh, we would we would claim the forty-five V uh, as well. Um, and then depending on how the rules around stacking. Are, are finalized. We could also claim the forty-five Z or the clean fuel credits. So we could end up kind of combining all three of those together in, in a single project.
0: I guess this is kind of what you've spoken on, right? We can't rely on subsidy to get us there. It sounds like you guys have done your homework. Where that's icing on the cake, right? You're going to commercialize and then apply. Um, but you know, is that core to your business model, or is that something that you know? You can take advantage of it for the next twelve years, and because we talk about it, sequestration is not the only answer. We need viable solutions, alternative uses for CO two. Right back to the mini series. Um, so curious how you guys view view those credits. You know, core to your business model. Yes, right now they are core to our
2: business model. Like we wouldn't be able to, you know, build these first few projects and and actually. You know, get in, an airline or a corporate customer to pay enough to cover the costs without those subsidies, and so they're they're essential for us getting up and running and starting to get down that cost curve. Um, I'd say, you know, you, you mentioned a sort of twelve-year timeline or you know, ten to twelve-year timeline when they might when they might run out. You know, I think that's a, a time frame where we could get closer to cost parity without subsidies. Um, we do think it's always appropriate to include some kind of carbon price. Um, I wouldn't necessarily consider that a, a subsidy. You know, I'd say right now the carbon emissions are being subsidized uh, by not taxing them. Um, but you know, I think we—that's really our goal—is not necessarily true cost parity with fossil fuels, but cost parity plus uh, a carbon price. So we always think there's going to be some kind of price on carbon or, or shadow price on carbon in some way it's being priced. Um, and and we do think we have a pathway to get there. And, and like I said, it's, it's mostly going to be driven by uh, the decline in renewable energy costs. That's, that's kind of how our pathway works uh, to get to, you know, close to cost parity. So yeah, I mean, I mean I'm sure you've kind of mapped it in this, you know, some, speculation
1: as to where costs ultimately go is there a you know because you know just my, my belief is I'm all for subsidies if they're a bridge for innovation to enable new technologies to, to kind of find a home because otherwise like you said no, nobody would buy it nobody would invest in it nobody would do anything so we got to create a, a, a unnatural parity through through subsidies to get that you know that that there it's it's when they never go away that becomes the problem um so you've know, you, you mentioned that that the electricity cost is really that biggest factor. Do, do you see a pathway? Um, you know, if it and maybe part of the question is, if it didn't have to be renewable energy in the process today, would you have reasonable price parity? Um, and we're trying to get renewable down to you know, you know whatever, just fossil fuel or, or natural gas or whatever electricity or like really is that twelve year window going to be enough to to kind of bridge that the gap?
2: we think you know it, it's it's going to be close you know i think that's that's sort of the the challenge if it was obvious then i guess you know uh, many okay. more people would be would be doing it um, and you know i think that's that it really will come down to kind of how the grid develops and you know as you guys probably know that renewables are really the the sort of cheapest marginal cost or cheapest kind of levelized cost resource right now it's really just about the availability right um you know whether they'd be available 24/7 and, and and so um you know if if additional transmission infrastructure gets built out to kind of enable you know transmission of of projects and, and sort of more using the grid almost as storage if energy storage can, continues to improve um that's really going to you know going to be the the key over the next decade and you know there's so many people working on that it's it's critical for so many industries, electric vehicles, and, and things like that, that, you know, that's, you know, we're, we're sort of just another bet on that transition happening. Um, you know, certainly there's other more unique things like advanced nuclear technologies and, you know, that we're sort of keeping an eye on, but I think, you know, wind, solar, plus some form of direct or or sort of uh, type of energy storage is, is sort of what we see as the, the roadmap. And any sort of established uh, analysts, I think, think we can get there. It's just a matter of, yeah, how quickly it happens. Yeah. Uh, things like that. So Hal, I've
1: got a couple of questions and I'm gonna really go far outside the scope of my technical capabilities here, but it's uh, so like, maybe I'll just invent some new product that you didn't think about yet, uh, but- uh and remember, it's, we're, we're still- Absolutely, it's, 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 <laughs> all, it's all- patentable. <laughs> uh, no. Um, you know, how scalable is is the production you know, electrolyzer? Could you have your own self-contained solar panel generator that's producing it? And then secondarily, you know, you you are producing hydrogen in this process as well. Could you not ultimately feed hydrogen fuel cells to then, you know, drive a lot of that power after the fact? And maybe I have just made that up. But, you know, there's this a uh, kind of a, almost a, a, a self-functioning, self-contained you know, system by, by the end of it.
2: Yeah, there's definitely some some potential for, for structures like that. You know, it, it really will just depend on you know, how cheap hydrogen gets in terms of that technology. Um, if you're at some sites like that have larger scale hydrogen storage potential, like with the salt caverns or things like that, you know, there, there's some sort of unique opportunities there. Uh, yeah, certainly I think like as as you look further out, and see how some of these technologies could develop the amount of sort of creative options does open up and really, yeah, that's, that's sort of the Holy grail would be, you know, co-located with the large wind, solar and battery project, getting our CO2 from direct air capture. Um, and so not necessarily relying on a point source of CO2 and then having the whole thing be, you know, be kind of a self-contained unit. Uh, it's definitely kind of on the, on the long-term roadmap. Um, but not not a requirement for our first you know first few deployments. So just to yeah
1: you know, bring Youssef into this uh, this conversation a little bit more. I mean, uh, yeah, you're 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 pretty new to to twelve of course, but you know obviously mean, you have a long background in in the industrial gas side. What, do, what what kind of drove you to twelve, and what are you seeing as uh, uh, a different market, different industry, and and more on the utilization of that CO two side, and not just the uh, uh, you know, capture distribution side
3: of it. Well, um, definitely, I think that that twelve is um, is a company where there is a real will to change things and uh, and uh, to have an added value on, on um, and and um, and have a mitigation of climate change. And one of the best way actually to to do that is um, to reduce emissions. And one of the big ways to reduce emissions is basically. Um, stop creating new CO two and that's why utilization is is a uh, is a uh, is is put, is a good way um, for us to uh, um, basically to 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 mitigate that climate change that we are trying to do in the company etc. Et so overall, I would say that's what drove me to twelve is a team of passionate people, um, you know, a real will to change things and 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 innovative technology that is really differentiating in the markets and and that's trying to um, to create, a, a, you know, a new cleaner way of transportation overall.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great. So you got your new hub coming on. What's next? What's the, what's the future? What are we going to see from from twelve in the next couple of years? You mentioned kind of plastics and and uh, you know other products as well. Um, where, where do you go from here?
2: Yeah, I think definitely the big focus in the next you know year is going to be getting that. Uh, first sustainable aviation fuel project uh, up and running, and kind of show that this technology actually works and can produce at a industrially relevant scale. Um, and then you know, we've got a, a list of kind of other other products that we're working on. I think I think you know one of the really interesting things is you you can actually make different types of hydrocarbons within the electrolyzer itself. You know, one, one option is to make CO out of our electrolyzer and then, you know, react that with other things to make chemicals. But we can also use different catalysts to make, you know, other sort of hydrocarbons within our electrolyzer. Um, People talk about ethylene sometimes as one that you can make uh, directly. That's a very big market. And so those uh, processes aren't, aren't as well developed, but that's kind of the, the longer term roadmap is, um is really improving our electrolyzer technology to make other types of, of hydrocarbon products. But that's, you know, that, that's something that we will have the, uh, the ability to do once we are producing, you know, sustainable aviation fuel in commercial quantities. Uh, so that's, that's definitely the big focus for right now.
0: And I guess to wrap, right. And bring back to the core of our podcast, right. The supply side of CO2, what does this mean? it means you guys are going to need more CO2. You're looking for new sources of CO2. Um, and you know we're just looking at the landscape and how it's changing and bringing awareness to those that wanna hear us talk and ramble uh, that there are new technologies coming online, that CO2, it's totally changing. I mean, we're, the, the supply is gonna be constrained, but we are going to bring more supply online. Who is using CO2 today? may not be, you know, who is using CO2 tomorrow as a 12 steps in as these new products are developed. And so, you know, at the core of this message, it is keeping the thumb on the pulse of what the CO2 landscape looks like. And I appreciate you both coming on and giving us kind of the deep dive into who 12 is. And, you know, congratulations on the commercialization. Excited to see this project uh, that hopefully will be announced by by the time we launch the podcast up and running. Um, but really insightful and, and uh, just good information for everybody at home to to be keeping in the backs of their minds and be keeping up with. it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What uh, what didn't we ask? Anything else? Uh, what what else you want to talk about? Anything good that we've missed? I think you guys have your hands full. I think you're doing plenty. <laughs> <laughs> no i don't think
2: so i guess one of the things yeah out. we're uh
1: just, just yeah. redefining how planes fly you know i mean that's fine nothing more than that you know yeah. to definitely
2: do. a lot it. yeah i will i will say yeah I, I totally agree with what you guys are saying that there will need to be you know an order of magnitude or multiple orders of magnitude change in the amount of co2 that's just being moved around uh, yes. the the us and and other countries as well and so that's kind of one thing we're, you know, we're starting to dig into a little bit more is obviously as people propose the pipelines, which is a cost-effective way to move move CO2, um, but also rail, truck, barge, you know, we're, we're kind of curious to see how all of those other modes of transport are gonna develop and uh, which ones will be sort of economical. And, and so it's fun to kind of pull out the map and, you know, figure out, hey, how could this all fit together at a really large
0: scale? Yeah.
2: That's, yeah, there's, there's always this
1: fear, you know, with a lot of our end users and customers as well. And then that's kind of the message that we, we like to you know, project out there is the fear is, well, CO2 is going to go away. We need to find you know, new sources of, of other things or alternatives to CO2. I think there's, there, there's a, an overabundance of CO2. We just need to find cost-effective ways to utilize it and new uses for it. And, I, you know, aviation fuel is, is way up high on the list of something that will use a tremendous amount of volume it's just going to, as you noted, shift the entire supply chain of CO2. I mean, you might have CO2 exporters by the time this is done, like I said, whether it's barge or rail or or whatever it is, um, because there's places and countries in the world that don't produce as much CO2 uh, that will need, I mean, if you're making sustainable aviation fuel out of CO2, but you have all these green initiatives that stop emissions altogether, well, then you're going to need CO2 to put it in here. You know? So, uh, yeah, and it's transferring around carbon tax credits and, and all sorts of you know, new things. It's just an entire new market, an entire new industry. And, uh, you know, the ones that can't figure that out and just keep doing it the same way are going to get kind of run over. And it's the ones that innovate and think forward are uh, the ones that are going to win. So we're excited to continually watch how this progresses and, and obviously take part of it ourselves
0: and excited for what you guys are doing there. Yeah, thank you both for coming on. Appreciate you guys. Uh, we'll be in touch. We'll keep our eyes closed. Yes. Absolutely. We'll look for the we invite to Washington. Have. My, my plane is booked, and I'm like looking at the Google flights for my CO2 emission impact when I I'm pull uh, that flight. Go. So, there you go. Do you donate to the. Always, every time. time. It's not a question, man. It's a question of how. I'm Mr. All right, guys. You, 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 you cool. Have a great one really it Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Bye